0: Shalom, and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. Surely there's more to be said about the first paragraph of the Shema, and I think we will circle back for more comments that people might have once we finish all three paragraphs of the Shema. We'll circle back once, and then we, when we finish the whole Shema service after we finish, the third blessing, Israel. Yisrael, will circle back again. So if there are more thoughts about the first paragraph of the Shema, this will not, last week will not have been your last opportunity to share them. Uh, it's such a rich passage. We'll surely circle back and have more to say. But let's move on to the second paragraph of the Shema. Also from Deuteronomy, Sefer Dvarim, but not consecutive with the first paragraph of the Shema, meaning it's plucked. From a different place. Um, I will preface class today by saying that um, one hears that lots of Jews, particularly lots of non traditionally minded Jews, have trouble theologically with the second paragraph of the Shema. Uh, They interpret this to be the doctrine of reward and punishment and say they have trouble with this. Uh, I don't have trouble with it. So hopefully when we get to the end of me sharing my understanding with you, um, maybe you'll have less trouble with it. Or I don't know, you'll share your understanding with me and maybe I'll have more trouble with it. It <laughs> could go could <laughs> go either way or it could go both ways. The first paragraph of the Shema, the V'ahavta, is called in rabbinic literature and halachic literature, Kabbalat ol malchut, malchut shamayim, shamayim, which literally means accepting the yoke, Y-O-K-E, the yoke of the kingdom of heaven, which is a very fancy transla- and weighty translation. It basically means accepting full loyalty to God. Okay? Second paragra- paragraph, which we're about to do, is called Kabbalat ol ha <clears throat> accepting the yoke of the mitzvot, which is seen to be a more concrete and specific thing so we can think of first paragraph of the Shema is commitment uh, f- to full loyalty to God in general. Um, and then second paragraph is commitment to fulfilling the mitzvot. Ve'haya, im mitzvotai asher hayom. And it will be that if you listen well or obey well my mitzvot, which I command you this day, so, right away, well, I'll finish the verse. Leava et Hashem Elokechem ovdo, which superficially we could translate as to love Hashem your God and worship him with all your heart, with all your mind and all your soul being. But better, I think, leava here, like the is to be fully loyal, to be loyal to Hashem your God. And to serve God with all your heart and with all your being, service in Judaism, certainly in the Torah, is not considered a lowly thing or a bad thing. it's actually considered a high thing to serve God. Actually, who's the most important character in the Torah? It's a toss- up question.: Moshe. Moshe, and what is he? Ref- and he is the only one. Who rece- in the only person in the Torah who receives the honorific of being called Eved Hashem, God's servant. So to be called God's servant is such a high uh, epithet that it is only used of Moses and no one else. So being a servant of God is an elevated thing. It's not, so we have to wipe out in our mind our idea of servant and what that means. So right away we notice in this verse something that is grammatically very different from the first paragraph. What is grammatically very different between the first paragraph and the second paragraph in terms of who is being addressed or how someone is being addressed? Tishmau. Tishmau. What's the difference grammatically between Tishmau and Veahavta? Plural. Right, so it's plural versus singular. So all of the is you, it's mm-hmm. all phrased in the singular. Tishma'u is plural. plural. So all of the second paragraph of the Shema is, as we say in good English, use, use guys. You all. It's you all, y'all, as they say mm-hmm. in the South. So all of it is addressed to y'all. So one thing I want to point out right from the outset, is all of the second paragraph is addressed in the plural to Bnei Yisrael. Now, you might say that practically speaking there's no real difference because of course the first paragraph in Deuteronomy is addressed to every single individual Israelite, But and what's the difference if it's addressed to every single Israelite versus Bnei Yisrael as a whole? Isn't that just a stylistic difference? So hold that question in mind, okay? Just hold that in mind. All this is phrased as y'all. So if y'all will really shamoa really listen well or seriously obey, heed, nice word in English, seriously heed the mitzvot which I give you this day to be loyal to Hashem, your God, and to serve God with all your heart and all your being, then, so it's an if-then I think there's fancy Latin words for that. I don't know, protesis and apotesis or something like that, which is fancy Latin for saying if, then. So if is paragraph one, then the outcome will be, venatati. God is speaking in the singular, be'ito, I will give the rain for your land in its time. Yoreh umalkosh which are two different names for two different kinds of rains, the late rain, the early rain, the early rain, the late rain. I'll come back to that in a moment. And then you will gather in your grain, uh, grain, wine, and oil, which is always the troika of um, agricultural products that are mentioned in the Torah over and over again. Grain, wine, and oil means grain, grapes, and olives, okay, three main different types of crops. So, um, you know how they say Eskimos have lots of different words for snow, and the Greek, ancient Greeks in Homer had a lot of different words for the sea. So the Israelites had probably not as many words, but a bunch of different words for rains have in the Tanakh, which has to do with different kinds of rains. I am not an agricultural expert. I'm a city boy from Queens. So I can't tell you I understand all of it. I'm sure if I lived in some kibbutz in Northern Israel, I would understand all of it. But it basically has to do with when you are a society that is totally dependent on rain, uh, it's really important for the right kind of rain to come at the right time. So during the winter, when nothing is growing, the rain has to really be soaking. It has to soak the ground so the stuff will be fertile. Once stuff comes up, It still needs rain, but if the rain is too heavy, then the the green, fresh crops will be destroyed by the rain. That's an element, by the way, in the story of the Barad, the hail as the plague in Egypt, is that the rain was too strong and it killed the crops in the field. And the Torah actually says it killed the early crops, but not the late crops, because the late crops hadn't come up yet, right? And then the late crops... Are mentioned in the later plague of Arbe, locusts, which comes after hail, barad, Arbe, Yes, right. Um, so it says so. Like if the barad, if the hail destroyed, because you might say if the barad, if the hail destroyed all of the crops in the field, how is there anything there for the locusts to eat? Answer: The locusts came later, which. If we follow the agriculture, it would probably have to be weeks and weeks later, maybe even a couple of months later. And so the early crops hadn't come out yet. Then they came out, so they weren't destroyed by the barad, the hail. So that's what the locusts ate. So this whole choreography of agricultural seasons and what rain falls when is really, really important in a society that is fully dependent on rain. If the wrong rain Falls at the wrong time, there are no crops. We're going to come back to that in a moment, okay? So I'm going to give you. So if you listen to my mitzvot, I'll give you the right rain, and then you will have crops, okay? What are the result of crops? So then there will be. I will give vegetation in your field for your beasts, and then you will eat and be sated, okay? So vegetation is the root of everything. It's the source of all sustenance in ancient Israel. It is the source of the stuff that you will eat. And then, and ancient Israelites did two things. They farmed and they shepherded. Okay, they were small scale farmers. So your crops will grow and then there will also be esev modern Israeli is grass, but in the Torah really means vegetation. There'll be vegetation. And so your animals will eat. And so, and what do you get from the animals, right? We get, they got milk and they got their meat, right? And they got other products, physical products. But basically you'll be able to eat grain, wine, your olive oil, and your animals will have vegetation and you'll be able to eat meat once in a while. Okay? And, then, and the result of this is all this goodness. <coughs> You'll eat and you will be sated. Okay? So if you heed my mitzvot, I will give rain, and the whole agricultural cycle will go well. Negative. Right? That's kind of the opposite of im shamar Be careful. Watch out. Pen lest your hearts be seduced, that's what Yifta means. Let your hearts be seduced or led astray. Visartem Lasur means to sort of go off path, to veer off path. You know, like your ways isn't working and you end up going in the wrong direction. That's what it means. So be careful, watch out, lest your mind's hearts seduce you. And you veer off path, you go astray. So, so we said, You should l of you should serve God, right? With your whole heart, in the first sentence. Now we're saying, lest you go off path and serve other deities, Lahem, and worship them, bow down to them. Then what will happen? This is the second if then sentence. Then V'chara af Hashem bachem. God will be angry at you. Literally, God's...
1: Nostril will
0: will flare. Okay? At you is what it means as its core meaning, which is taken as a physical image, which means to be angry. et So, in terms of verbs, if you listen, then God says, V'natati, I will give. But... If you don't listen, the atzar, God will block up. It means block up or close up. Stop signs in Israel say, atzar. Mm -hmm. Um, So God will stop up the heavens. What does stop up the heavens mean? What is the ancient idea of where rain comes from? Water lives up there. How do we know that water lives up there? Because rain comes down from up there. What's holding it back? Who knows what's holding it back in biblical thinking. Rakia, Yeah, so there's a flat thing, uh, and the flat thing has, uh, I don't know if this is the correct term, sluice gates. Does anyone know if that's the correct term? They're sluice gates. They're these trap doors, right, or windows that periodically God opens and then water falls down. So they, they didn't understand, well, they understood something about clouds, but... That, that's not quite the same way we do, okay? So, cl- the Hashemayim literally means the heavens will be closed, which means those doors are not going to open. They'll remain shut, okay? So metaphorically, I will shut up the heavens. V'lohye matar. same word as in the beginning part. There will not be rain. In modern Israeli, we say Geshem, but uh, Matar is the uh, also a, poetic, biblical word for Geshem. So there will not be Matar. So then what will the result be? Ve'ha'aretz loti The earth will not yield its, yivul means yield, literally. The earth will not give its yield. And then what will happen? Instead of ve'achalta v'savata, you will eat and be sated, what will happen in this negative, uh, if, if you don't listen, is va You will quickly perish from this good land which Hashem gives you. Why will you perish? Very simple, concrete answer. Because you will... What? Die. Starve. Okay? You'll starve. Okay? There'll be no food. You'll starve. I'm going to come back to that. Um, The rest of the paragraph kind of recapitulates elements from the first paragraph. Again, I, I want to be clear in the Torah, it's not the first paragraph and the second paragraph in the Torah, it's one passage from Deuteronomy. And then it's another passage from Deuteronomy from several chapters later. Okay. So, but visually to us, it looks like it's recapitulating from the second paragraph. So I don't think I'm going to go over the rest of, the, I'm, I, I'm not going to go over the next two lines. So really listen to these things and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates and teach your children. And it should be when you lie down and rise up. All that stuff we talked about last week, it should imbue all aspects of, right? So all these words which I say to you should imbue all aspects of your life. Why? Because if you listen to the words, you will eat and be sated. And if you disobey and go astray and worship other gods, um, then you'll starve and you'll wither away, you'll disappear, okay? That's why you need to put these words on your, on your heart and in your mind, etc., etc., all the stuff we talked about. And then, but then there's another line added at the end of that. Why should you do all these things? Summary sentence. So that, Your days, but yamim also means years in biblical Hebrew. So that your days or years and the years of your children, I'm going to say this means children, but also means descendants in this case, so that your um, years and your children's years, your descendants' years, will be very long. al hadama. On the earth, in the land, which Hashem, your deity, has sworn to you to give them. Latet lahem. Notice it's not lahem to you, but it's lahem to them. Meaning it's talking now not about you guys, but your offspring. Okay? So doing this ensures a future for your offspring in the land. How long? As long as the heavens exist over the earth. Right, which is a way of saying forever, right? If there's no vegetation and we starve, is that still the days of Shamaim al Haaretz? Absolutely. The Shamaim and the Aretz will continue. We'll be gone, we will have starved, we will have disappeared from the land, but the Shamaim Haaretz will continue. Um, Moshe or God or both are saying here the purpose of doing all this is so that you will survive long on the land. How long? As long as the earth and heavens endure, which is a fancy poetic <clears throat> forever and ever. Okay. Now context, this paragraph is lifted from a context in Deuteronomy where a where Moshe, I think in his second speech is explaining to Bnei Yisrael the rules, okay? The rules are actually one big rule. Worship God, don't worship other gods. And Moshe goes on and on and on about it, just like many things in Sefer Dvarim go on and on and on. He goes on and on and on, and then explains to them why this is important. He says, you are coming... You need to be aware, you all here in the desert, about to go into the promised land. We're in year 39 in the plains of Moab, right across, or I don't know, year 40 before they go in, before Moshe dies. And he says, you're about to go into a new situation that you don't understand. Let me explain it to you. He says, you come from Egypt. And he says, in Egypt, you literally, it's you what are the vegetation at your feet is kind of literal, pretty literal translation of what Moshe is saying. Okay. So he's telling them, you've been living for several generations in the land of the Nile, in the land of the Nile. How do things survive? The Nile rises every year it floods. And so to control the floods, people build canals and it crests, it floods, it fills the canals, and the vegetation cycle, which means whether people survive or starve to death, is based on that process that happens every year. Which is why, by the way, in life in Egypt is dependent on the Nile, and there's all kinds of proverbs about this, which is why in the stories of The Exodus, Pharaoh is always going down to the Nile and Pharaoh is associated with the the Nile and Pharaoh takes credit in saying, I'm the God and I make the Nile rise and fall. Now, I don't I don't know if in ancient Egypt they had enough science to know why the Nile rises and falls. We know that because there's snows in the mountains of Sudan, Ethiopia. I'm not quite sure. Right. There's uh, Larry. Okay, Larry. Larry is an African. He's going to make fun of me. Go ahead, Larry. No snows. It what is it? it? Snows it's on Kilimanjaro, and okay. the water doesn't get up to the Nile. How does it go, Larry? Tell us. It, it rains. It rains in the mountains of, of Ethiopia. Okay. And then, it, and then, and then, the White Nile and the Blue Nile join together at Khartoum in Sudan, and it floods. Thank you, Larry. I have had an American education. And and Mm -hmm. that just showed. I just demonstrated. No
1: geography, right?
0: Okay. Correct. All right. There's no snow. It's rain. Sorry. So anyway, but the Egyptians don't see that. So for Egypt, it's just kind of like this magic, which is dependent on the gods, that every year the Nile, water comes and the Nile rises and the Nile goes down. Um, I said this last cycle, two years ago, when I said this, Um, do an exercise later on today. Go to um Google Maps and Google uh, Cairo, and then change the filter to be satellite, so you see like the terrain and the colors, and then hit the minus key go minus 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 minus, so that you zoom out and what Egypt looks like from the air is there is a narrow strip of green which I believe is. I'm not, I don't think I'm wrong about this, Larry. I think it's four miles wide on each side of the Nile, approximately, and everything else is brown. So Egypt is a desert with nothing in general, most places, nothing growing, except for a ribbon four miles wide on either side of the Nile, which of course then opens up into the Nile Delta as it approaches the Mediterranean. Okay. So Moshe says to them, you come from a place where water, I'm going to put it in, uh, in quotes, automatically comes up from the earth every year. You are going to a very different kind of place. You are going to a place where rain needs to fall every year and it needs to fall in the right time, or you will starve and die. And we know this. Periodically, there are droughts in Eretz Israel. There's no crops. We have the, the Joseph story, right? Father Jacob says, "Go buy food, or we're going to die, us and our um, us and our animals." Okay, and we read um, in the Book of Kings about a big famine in the land um, in the time of King Ahab, Achav, and the prophet Eliyahu. Right? Where Ahav sends his main servant out and says, the water's all dried up. Go find water somewhere. Otherwise all the animals are going to die. Okay. So this is a real reality in Eretz Israel and probably other, other parts similar to it in the ancient Near East where life or death every single year de- depends on the rain coming at the right time. Everyone, with me on that? So yes. this, this is this paragraph is pulled out of context in Sefer Torahim, Book of Deuteronomy, where Moshe is explaining to Bnei Yisrael this thing that I'm telling you not to worship other gods is really important because it's not just a matter of different theology. If you worship other, if you disobey the commandments that I'm telling you and you worship other gods, God will be angry. God will keep the windows in heaven closed. There will not be rain to grow your crops and to feed your animals and you will die. All right. So you better listen up and keep all these words in your heart and in your head and on your arms and teach them to your children and, and have them imbue your public life and your private life. All those interpretations we talked about at the end of the first paragraph so that, Again, recapitulate. He's, he's, he says the uh, stylistically or, or rhetorically, okay? He says the positive, do this so this will happen. Then the negative, if you don't do this or you do something bad, then that bad thing will happen. And then he comes back to say, and so it's really important for you to teach your children and bind it on your hands and all that stuff ending on a positive note, so that you will live forever on your land. Okay, so that's how he ends it on a up note, as a a, rather than a finger wagging note. So it's a warning and a finger wagging, but then rhetorically he ends this passage on an up note. Okay, I'm gonna pause, Vered.
1: Hmm. I would like to comment briefly about the third line, Yes. T- three words. Yes. One word is beito, second word is Yoreh, third word is Malkosh. So Yore we have, we
0: have an Israeli to, in our midst. Excellent. Go ahead, Vera. Teach us.
1: I am. <laughs> you are my friends. And the blackboard is behind me. I have a class at nine. Okay. So I'm going to be brief. Go. So Yore is the first rain.
0: Thank the you. first
1: rain of the year is called Yore.
0: And when also, is it, sorry, when is it like November?
1: It's the beginning of November, end of October. Okay. And actually, we have many songs that we are singing that we wish the Yore to come and come now. Ha <speaking> Shemana, listen, come quickly, because at this time of the year, the people, the farmers, the people put seeds and they want the rain to come. So the first rain is normally not very heavy, but it's the good rain that will let the seeds start growing. On the contrary, the word malkosh is the name of the very last rain in which you already harvest, and you don't want heavy rain dam to wash your fields and destroy the hay or destroy the piles or whatever you did. So the word beito means in its time. You want the rain to come. at with an iron and a tough means time. So beito in its time. You want the yore and the malkosh to come in its time. Because heavy rain in the beginning will destroy the seeds. Heavy rain in the end will destroy what you harvested already. So, I will give you the rain in its time so they won't be floods. They won't be destroying your crops. And that's the Yoreh and the Malkos. And thus, when it comes on time, you will be let's say, successful, and you'll be able to harvest, collect, asaf, uh, your grain, your wine, and your oil.
0: Great. Thank you. And then I want to add, just add a little thing to what you said, because then you helped me un- understand more deeply. Yoren Kosh being the first rain and the last rain. Yes. It's just like saying, again, it's, it's sort of a merism, right? It's because it's saying from the first rain to the last rain, which captures the whole rain cycle, right? Yes. So all of the rains from the first one to the last one will be timely. Yes. Great. Thank you. That very helps. Okay. Um, Time-wise, I feel like we should finish. I'm going to take three more minutes just to drop a thought on you because I feel like I can't leave this hanging before Yom Kippur. Okay? Dafka before Yom Kippur. Um, So I, I'll just share with you briefly my understanding of this. Okay. First of all, this is collective. This is corporate. This is B'nai Israel. This is not reward or punishment for any individual Jew. So there's nothing about rain will fall on me, but not on you. Okay. Or good things will happen to me. I'll get a raise or I won't get sick or whatever. So none of this is about reward and punishment for an individual. I'd like to point out it is all phrased. as reward and punishment for the group. And in my mind, and how I live with this paragraph as a modern Jew, is I think of it as, um, Moshe is saying, I, I'm going to retranslate. I'm not saying Moshe is saying what I'm saying. I'm going to retranslate it into my contemporary terms that I can get. Okay? Um, that if your society is living up to its highest ideals, it will flourish. Mm-hmm. If your society veers off path, it will wither. I actually think it's a pretty simple concept. Now, because B'nai Isra Debra Torah Shon Adam, okay? Torah speaks to humans on their level. So because people 3,000 years ago believed in a concrete way that... God would decide to send rain or not send rain. It's phrased as if your society fulfills what it's supposed to do, God will make a decision and send you rain. If a society does not fulfill what it is supposed to do, God will make a different decision and God will be angry and not send you rain. Um, I think as a modern person who doesn't necessarily interpret weather patterns and agricultural cycles to be the explicit will of a deity. Okay. Although I understand we can argue about that. And some people would say, no, that's what I believe. And if you believe, then it's beautiful that you believe that. Um, But most of us don't believe that, but right. Most of us don't believe that there is drought because Hashem decided there should be drought or that there's a tsunami or wildfires or an earthquake because Hashem decided there should be an earthquake. Um, I don't want to take a poll by show of hands, but I'm guessing that most people in my Hollywood squares here that I'm looking at, don't believe that in a concrete way. Okay. But the idea that the way a society lives has consequences. Okay. And if a society lives up to its meets vote fully, that society will flourish. If a society, society, a culture, a nation, okay, veers off, it allows themselves to be seduced and go off track, then there will be consequences to that and that society will wither. Um, you may choose in a modern interpretation to keep, With the agricultural metaphor, I don't mind that. So for some people, this is kind of about ecology, like climate change. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to go on about that. I don't think just open up the newspaper. Okay. So you can either say, this is really just about natural resource. You can keep your interpretation to be about natural resources. And then it is closer to the literal meaning of the text. Um, Or you can have it be in your mind, not just about, natural resources like crops uh and uh, wildfires but you know something some metaphoric you know economic flourishing um at a at a less i'm going to say more abstract more s- complex level than simply the um natural cycle of crops so we don't have time for discussion today which is very unfair i'm sorry but i just want to put that out there because i don't want people going into we will discuss this we'll come back to it next week god willing i promise um but i, I don't want to head people into yom kippur thinking that the Hayim shamoah is a paragraph about reward and punishment and i should be standing there in shul thinking about god is god going to reward me or punish me now you might be thinking about that in shul but you shouldn't be thinking that because of this paragraph what you should be thinking about in Shul because of this paragraph is how are we living as a society and are we living up to mitzvot or are we not heeding and are we veering off path and what are the consequences of that going to be or what are the consequences of that 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 we are living through now? So that was my, I guess that was my pre- Yom Kippur sermon. So I promise we'll discuss next time and people will have time to react to what I said. Gemar Hatimatovah uh, Khatimatova to all and a blessed and healthy and fulfilled 5781. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.